Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And then I think this is where someone like James Booknight gets introduced to the conversation in terms of everything James Booknight does in this sort of the, remember I tweeted about this a while and got into a, a bunch of different conversations with a bunch of different people who all made very good points, but uh, there's a lot of excitement in my evaluation of uh, how people view James Booknight because he has like a requisite level of passing as this sort of like volume scoring off guard. Um, but I think once you kind of watch James Booknight, all of the passing is so obvious. Like it's all these like rim attacks where he has a ton of gravity and it's just a very easy kick out or it's a very easy lob. Um, and I think that is worthwhile in that he needs to have that baseline level of skill to be successful in that role in the NBA. It's like, I think kind of the role um maybe a more advanced version of like what you're seeing Tyler hero do with the heat is like a lot of DHOs, a lot of like second side pick and roll where the read has to be there and it either is, or it's not. Um, and if you're going to score, you're going to score. And if you're not, you're getting off the ball. Um, and I think book night kind of shows an ability to do that. Uh, but I wonder how, when he doesn't have that gravity, when the things aren't so obvious, if that maintains and scales up levels, I think that's kind of the issue we're talking about with, Trey Mann is like, maybe there is that conceptual understanding um, long-term, but I think in the short term, there is going to be an issue of like, when the advantage creation is mitigated, is the passing still going to carry? And I'm not sure that it is. All right. Yeah. That, that concludes the skills holding back. Uh, Wait, can I say, skills. can I say one more thing about book night? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go for it. yeah I do. So um, I also wrote about book night earlier in the year. And I think this was one of the first like, actual conversations Henry and I had was regarding book night um, and the lack of layered reads that we're talking about. Um, and just something I would like to see more from him and something that like, I, I don't mind, you know, like box score stats are tough. Like assist turnover ratio is tough because everything is deeper than that. And like, I, there are genuinely games that I'm watching and there's a turnover and I'm like, not mad about it. Like, you know, like I want to see some ambition from you. I want to see you attempt to toy with the defense. I want to see you attempt to throw the skip pass and with book night. There's just not really that ambition, you know, like, like you said, Henry, like if it's there and the, the role man is wide open and no one tagged them. Yeah, we'll fire that one in there. But that's a replacement level read. You know, anyone can do that. Uh, that's not really moving the needle for you as an on-ball player. And, you know, that is just something that, like, the more you watch him and the less that it shows up, you know, it kind of builds up over time. And, you know, like, the lack of ambition from him is definitely not ideal. Good to move on now. I'm, yeah, we're good. Uh, okay, so... The, the next area we had to talk about was, was 
team context limiting things. Um, and so the, I think the, the first area is where players are instructed to do a specific thing uh, in their role on a team. And so Jake and I kind of speculated about this with, with Tennessee uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think that like the frequency that drives turn into post-ups with them, it's probably instructed. Uh, I mean, you see, I think you see the same thing with Villanova. Um, you see, uh, you're just, just yeah, similar, similar uh, issues with, with guys who are, who are clearly instructed to handle certain situations uh, in a specific way. And just then you, you, you have to adjust for the fact that they're really just doing as they're told. Um, and so, yeah, J- Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, therefore this year are like instructive examples that if you want to see their drives turning into these impromptu post-ups less often, that's not necessarily on them. Uh, and you just have to, I think, account for the fact that like, maybe they would be more capable of like maneuvering tight spaces on the interior. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe they, they could be more daring rim finishers or, or have more developed uh, floater games or something like that. But it really is a team context that's, that's limiting you from seeing those things, which are not necessarily there for those guys. Uh, but that sort of general idea, uh, I think is something to really keep in mind. I think you see it a ton with Springer in that there are moments of very high level passing. Once he re- like there, there's a moment in every drive where those two guys and everyone on Tennessee seems to have to make a decision uh, in terms of like, am I going to keep going? Can I get there? Or is it a post up? Uh, I mean, Springer pushes through and there's a real advantage created. The passing out of those advantages are, is typically very impressive. Um, and so I think that is one skill that gets hidden here is what does it look like when, you know, I, I, I say Springer cause I see it more with him when the advantage is created, but what does it look like with Keon too? Like, what does it look like when those guys um, are not turning their back every time they reach contact? What does it look like when they're going into stride finishes and then hitting a player or, you know, fighting through to get that final step and then hitting a player like that is those passing advantages um, and the windows they can make when they, maintain that drive to turn the corner uh, can be really impressive. And that's why I think there's a lot of excitement about Springer specifically is because I think with his sort of more advanced level of handle compared to Keon, um, there's real potential for once they're out of that system to see some like kind of crazy passing flashes that we, you know, quote unquote, never saw in college um, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I I just want to hit on Keon. Um, and I think Keon, you know, the same argument could be made with Keon in relation to scoring. Um, you know, we've seen some of these games where if Keon, when he's going to keep pushing downhill or he's actually going to throw a counter at you, whether that be, you know, a spin or a crossover or a step back, whatever it's going to be, you know, like there's some really enticing scoring potential there. When you, you know, think about how far he's come as a pull-up shooter, um, which is I th- I think is on a pretty good trajectory. You know his functional athleticism as a finisher, his quick pop off the ground, his body control, all stuff like that. Um, when he actually does turn the corner and sticks with these drives, um, you guys hit on Springer. You know being impressive as a as a playmaker. I think you know we could see 
Keon is someone we could look back on after a few years in the NBA and, you know, the, the standstill box score numbers won't jump out as he was a dominant scorer or he was a dominant slasher. But, you know, when you actually dive into the film and parse out these few possessions where, hey, this is actually what it's going to look like on a consistent basis in the NBA, then I think you're really looking at something. Yeah, with Springer, I just think that the uh, the real tangible flashes are there more often that you see on on the drives where he doesn't default to a post up that he does have the hop steps, the strides that he gets to specific spots. And then yet, then it is a little bit higher level understanding that he see, he is anticipating how the defense is going to move around him and that he can make reads off of that. And so with, with Springer by, by, you know, a drilled tendency to turn these drives into post-ups, you're losing out one on maneuverability in the paint and two, these, these higher level, like on the move reads uh, that are really kind of central to, to his, his, like the idea of him as a, as a creator. And I mean, really just like most players as, as creators. Yeah. Um, oh, what I, what I will go ahead, point out with, with Springer before um, we do move on is Springer is very creative with this counter. So, you know, as you know, just when I'm watching him, it is a little bit of a letdown when he does resort to these post-ups because, you know, we've talked about how he is unorthodox as a slasher and as a ball handler in the way he is very comfortable playing off of two feet and, you know, getting to his spots within the paint and rising up and relying on touch when he does get there. Um, so, you know, he's someone where, we I mean, we talked about it what would it look like if, if he was banned from posting up and you know how how far could you really push him and how creative could he get with these hop steps and you know these little euros and all these unique Jaden Springer stuff that we've just been accustomed to know as like his signature brand um and that stuff really intrigues me yeah the, the flip side I think of being instructed to do specific things would be when guys are not empowered to do specific things that does not necessarily mean that they can't do something. Um, so there, there are like attempting higher level passing reads, which I think was relevant for both Patwell and Vassell last year, that on occasion they would, they would flash that, and Patwell in particular, that he would flash higher level reads and really, really high level functionality. And you're definitely seeing that in the NBA now. And he just, I think, simply wasn't empowered to do that. Um, but this, this is, I think, is really relevant with bigs most of the time that being not, not being empowered uh, with shooting, with, with play types, like specifically just not being used as a pick and roll big, if they're a pick and roll big, uh, being stuck in zones. Um, so Henry, did you want, do you want to talk about how, I think those all apply to, to Kai Jones to, to some extent? The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you've been looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchased before they're sent to you, so you can confidently shop knowing your pair is the real deal. 
For sneaker sellers out there, eBay has estimated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Yeah, so uh, I've been on a little bit of a Kai binge, and um, what's very apparent, well, I guess I can start with the with the shooting. Um, he's not a, I believe he's taken 29 threes this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's made 11 of them. Um, and he's very clearly going to be a good shooter, in my opinion. Um, the energy exchange is really clean. Uh, has good hands, very typically balanced, and also in a lot of different ways. He's like, I don't know if I've seen a big prospect as fluidly, like he has flashes of like step back threes and like not even that, which are like I kind of said in the beginning a little bit fluky sometimes. Um, but he's comfortable like taking pull-ups out of closeouts, um, even doing like sidesteps when he's closed out hard on, uh, all of which I think point to him being very comfortable as a shooter uh, internally, but that – 29 attempts over whatever it is, 25 games. Um, that's that's not the same story. Uh, so I think he's an example. And I think Greg Brown falls victim to this too, not as much because he's gotten more attempts off. But I think Texas's offense is very much, um, and PD Webb talks about this a lot too uh, in his recent piece. And I've also just talked to him about it on the side. It's like Texas's offense is very much just like every decision is made by the guards. So if Greg or Kai ends up in a situation where they have the ball to shoot and like, that's the right, like the obvious right play, then it's going to go up, but there's never a decision being made of should I shoot or should I not like decisions already being made for them. Um, so long-term what that means is you have, you know, guys like Kai putting up, like I said, college numbers where they're shooting 29 threes in a year. Um, but I think you could very, you know, sooner rather than later, depending on opportunity, see situations where he's like, you know, a mid to high thirties, three point shooter in the NBA on decent attempts pretty quickly. Um, and kind of the other thing I think applies to Kai too, is the, uh, the play types here. I think he's a uniquely uh, potential strong screen threat because he has a vertical spacing that he has with his athleticism. Um, and he can also, he's a pretty good pop threat with how he can attack closeouts and shoot. Uh, and he never is in situations where defenses are forced to make that decision. It's always a double drag. It's always, you know, he's spent a ton of time in the corner, which is kind of frustrating. Um, and so once you get him in a situation where he's setting a ton of screens and he's making the read, if he should pop a roll, and then if he's popping, he's making closeout reads, uh, that's going to be a way that a team's going to extract a lot of value out of him pretty soon. Yeah, I think the the shooting projection with Kai is certainly optimistic. You hit on the all types like the shot versatility, and that was what I was going to bring up. You know, for um, what is six eleven, you know, a true or whatever he is, you know, true big man prospect. You know, he he shoots like he's six six and has the shot versatility, and like we mentioned, the side steps. I, I don't like we see this with big men coming up. Like it was like McCord maker when he was like shooting pull-up threes in high school. It's like, that's not going to fly. However, it's noteworthy um, that you're even attempting them and comfortable and even making them. Um, he looks, it's, it's like you said, the energy transformation is very, very fluid. There's no hitch. It's smooth. It's clean. Like with Evan Mobley, um, I'm comfortable projecting him as a shooter yet. And it, it's good. His mechanics are steady and they're, and they're stable, but it's a little bit slower with Kai. Like, He's very, very clean. Um, it's fluid, quick, 
all the positive adjectives that go along with shooting mechanics can kind of be applied to him. So, I mean, I just want to ask you guys, like the flip side of this scheme, you know, some, some with Jackson Hayes, where you get these freaky flash based big men who are kind of pigeonholed into this rim running with some Kai with some floor spacing, catch and shoot, um, close out opportunities here and there, you know, where you're really pigeonholed into not having, you don't really have the opportunity to make decisions. And what does that mean in the long run is trying is the kind of the big thing that I'm trying to figure out with him. I think it's really difficult because that is a huge, uh, developmental hurdle to get over um, in terms of how your pattern recognition comes along um, as a playmaker. But the one thing I've kind of been considering with Kai that special is he started playing basketball when he was 14. He played on varsity the first time when he was 16 and he just turned 20. Um, so in the kind of classic development arc track that you see from prospects who get picked in the lottery, uh, he's kind of only being expected to along that path. Like it's just kind of about now where a lot of guys start making those reads anyway. So I don't think him being, you know, one year behind, if that's taught to him and an emphasis in his development next year, once he gets drafted, that that's not going to be a huge deal um, given how kind of sudden everything, all everything kind of came together with him. To, to bring this back to, to where we started with, with shooting, um, because Kai Jones is a good example of a guy who is not necessarily put in position to shoot that often, but there were, there are guys like this every year, especially just, you know, there are a lot of college offenses that are not uh, reminiscent of the modern NBA. Um, so you have someone like Grant Williams, who's shooting high seventies from the free throw line for his college career, who is an elite mid range shooter um, who just doesn't attempt threes. And, and yeah, he had, a really rough go of it to start his NBA career, but his true talent level as a shooter, I think is totally acceptable, but a, a more traditional analysis of his college shooting would, would seem to indicate that he's a non-shooter coming in. Uh, we, we talked or Ben and I talked a lot, of course, about Tyler Bay last year that he didn't really attempt threes except for weirdly like designed off movement ones. Um, and I think was, it was a pretty good free throw shooter as well. Like, to what 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 level of shooter is Tyler Bay really in college? Because he's not the shooter that he's asked to be at the very least. You don't that doesn't mean you have to buy Tyler Bay as a shooter, but he's you know the the level of volume and efficiency that he's capable of is certainly not what he's showing, and that's just a function of, of team context. I think almost entirely. Um, the other the other team area, or we had a couple more to address, but zones. Yes, there are NBA teams that increasingly play in zones, but um, first of all, like zones vary. Like what you're asked to do can be different, but you you don't get to see some things if a guy is playing in a zone all the time. Um, Like the the Evan Mobley uh, prospect analysis would be very different if they played zone all the time, which they do like a fair amount of the time. But if, if you didn't get to see the moments where Evan Mobley is switching multiple ball screens and moving ladder, like sitting down and moving laterally with all these guards and then blocking a pull-up, if you just saw him play in the middle of the zone, you might think that he is not capable of doing those things when he most certainly is capable of it. 
and and given that there are college teams that play zone close to 100 percent of the time um that's something that definitely has to be accounted for with, with these prospects so i think typically the ones who find themselves on a, like a select few teams your washington's or, or syracuse yeah i i mean as if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I despise evaluating prospects in zone defense or offensively too. Um, there are games where I'll turn it on. I'll see they're in a zone defense. Like obviously I know what I'm getting into when I watch Washington or Syracuse, but if I'm watching a game and they play zone defense, I've done it multiple times or I'll turn it off and watch a different one because I didn't want to deal with it that day. And it's just because it makes everything so much more difficult. Yes, there are certain things that you can take away like with working against zones. You know, I think, finding passing windows there's a different there are different types of ball fakes that work against the zone learning how to draw multiple guys and like recognizing those rotations without necessarily that being in your own team scheme like those are valuable things but you know like Evan Mobley in in his own that's he's the perfect example because when you watch him in a man defense it probably takes all three possessions to be absolutely blown away with all the stuff that he can do that we've talked about on this podcast but you know if you're just going to watch him in his own sure you'll see the verticality and the room protection and the timing and his ability to get to the apex and all those great things but you're going to miss out on a lot of the things that also make evan mobley such an intriguing defensive prospect and a productive defensive prospect and player which is that lateral movement and comfort on the perimeter so yeah zone is without a doubt um something that holds a lot of prospects back i think it's there's two sides of the coin too right like there are situations um i think the the most notable one from this past draft with Jaden mcdaniels where zones hides of prospects certain kind of positive abilities um because they're not they're simply not fulfilling responsibilities that they're going to fulfill at the next level and so once you get to the next level and you have an understanding from prior experiences then they show up again but i think there's also the other end whereas uh prospects who are generally maybe not very good defenders can sit in a zone and be fine. And then you have no idea what you're looking at in terms of a defensive prospect. And uh, one game I was watching this past week where this stood out was Santi Aldama, who plays for Loyola, Maryland, and they played a zone the entire game. Um, and Aldama, I don't know if you guys have watched him too much, but he's like a 6'11", kind of, I would play him as a five, maybe a four. Um, good passer, pretty skilled offensively, some decent movement skills. Uh, good touch. Seems like he'll probably be able to, to shoot long term, um, but they play him on the the bottom of the zone. But they don't play him in the middle. They play they're like six eight more athletic forward in the middle. Uh, and so Aldama is like spending the entirety basically of the game I watched, kind of out of everything. And like everything that comes his way is a basic stunt to the wing and recover to the corner or close to the corner and then realign and help. And like there's no responsibility of staying in front of guys there's no responsibility in playing passing lanes there's none of that so like I walked away kind of feeling like okay make me yeah he's kind of interesting there's like there is a level of movement there that's kind of unusual for 611 like there are some basic offensive skills but like I don't feel comfortable investing really anything into him right now because it's entirely possible he gets put out there and he can't play drop and he also can't play at the level of screen and then he's a useless defensive player that the offensive skills don't make up for in any way uh so it's it's difficult and like you know i i echo all the sentiments jake made in terms of how detrimental it can be um in terms of valuation but i also think in terms of aldama it can also be pretty detrimental in terms of uh development 
like he's not being asked to do anything he's going to be asked to do later um which can be a huge problem down the line yeah you i mean you took the words out of my mouth um i've been preaching to every aau coach i talk to local in the area why do you play zone defense especially at the middle school levels even lower high school levels you know if you're trying to win peach jam and you got to do what you got to do i get that um on a regular random aau tournament why are you playing zone you're not teaching the kids anything you're not teaching them how to stunt and recover you're not teaching them how to make rotations you're not really teaching them spatial awareness and all those things just it's make it just has them has kids farther behind on the learning curve on how to actually play team defense within a scheme and yeah so especially from like from our standpoint as evaluators it's tough to evaluate it can it can hide you it can hinder you but then also from a developmental standpoint you are losing game reps and that's pretty detrimental sometimes one final point on the evaluation side is that it can also falsely make a guy look good um like last year, Elijah Hughes made some incredible rotations. But if everything that you're doing is like entirely scripted and you just have had drilled into you exactly what to do, it's it's not reflecting the, the higher high level conceptual understanding that we talked about later. And maybe it could be mistaken as as demonstrating that. Um, I feel like I, th- I think PD has talked about that with with um, with Texas Tech as well, that that these are guys who are misunderstood as team defenders because uh, of the, the way that they're taught to play team defense, that it's not as much conceptual understanding and more that they've had something drilled into them uh, and look better than, than they themselves are. Yeah. And the other side to tech is that um, similarly to how zone can affect a evaluation tech's no middle defense is so drastic that there are so many possessions where uh Terrence Shannon Jr. will spend like entire possessions basically playing uh I mean it's not a zone it's a man but they they do a lot of switching and there, there's um just a very staunch no middle rule that leads to like these very kind of dramatic like forcing baseline to the extent where you're not guarding the ball at all they look um, like blow buys. Yeah, it's like like Terrence Shannon Jr., you can watch him for an entire game and you can see him like kind of instinctually like wall up on a drive. And then you're like, oh, there's like obvious point of attack defense there. Um, but then like because of the way they their scheme acts is next possession down, he's just forcing into help kind of off the off the rip. And it's because it's frustrating because you you know that Terrence Shannon Jr. from watching him in, in high school and and seeing those flashes of on-ball defense that he can like hold his own, but it's just simply not what they want him to do. I think that offers a very natural transition into the lessons that that you could take away from thinking about latent skills. Um, So what you mentioned there, Henry, about seeing Terrence Shannon in high school is really important. Seeing guys in multiple contexts can help to, to allow you to isolate abilities that certainly it can, it can help to account for, for the scheme based stuff for the specific team context based stuff. Um, and, and I mean, even to, to the extent that like, you know, yeah, if, if the personnel on a certain, on a certain team is, is, you know, conducive to better spacing or something like that, then, you know, maybe, maybe you have a more clear understanding of what specifically Anthony Edwards issue is. 
Um, but I think generally, or very much in, in terms of like seeing guys in, in different defensive concepts, seeing guys in different roles, um, offensively, that, that seeing the, the multiple context aspect of this is, is really crucial. The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you've been looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you, so you can confidently shop knowing your pair is the real deal. For sneaker sellers out there, eBay has estimated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Go ahead, Jake. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to go, like, when you're engaging in draft discourse, it's always it's always a great place to start identifying, you know, the specific instance and where someone can get better. And like the avenues we always, we always talk about, you know, potential outcomes, high end outcomes, median outcomes, low end outcomes, but you know, how does it look like, what is the path to each one of those outcomes? You know, what is, what does it take to reach your high end outcome and how realistic is that? And of course that all depends on your philosophy on what can be developed. And that's stuff we all talk about every single day, but, you know, identifying the exact skill that needs to get developed can go a long way and identifying, Hey, Trey man is a functional passer. Like we don't need to teach him how to throw live drill passes. We don't need to teach him to look for certain angles. We don't need to teach him to throw drop-offs to the role. We need to teach him how to read the backside help and how to make these layered reads. And I think like that goes a long way, like on a team side, from a developmental standpoint with your player development staff, you know, identifying the actual root of the issue as and how feasible it is it is to overcome that, like that's something that's big. Yeah, and it's the one thing I was briefly going to say um, that's not that closely related to what you just said, Jake, but more to what Max said is um, the one thing that's kind of, I think, something that clicked for me this year more um, in terms of multiple team contexts and also more just as a general idea, not necessarily a specific example, um, but like the value of seeing guys uh, there's a, there's a lot of talk always because of kind of how, uh, you know, top rated recruits end up playing. Like there's obviously the Scotty Barnes situation where he's been surrounded by elite talent, his entire high school career. Um, but for, you know, there's the Jalen Johnson's of the world who obviously don't have that. Um, and that's often used as a, a basis for understanding guys offensively, um, playing different roles in terms of ball dominance or off ball or playing next to a creator, playing, you know, as the creator, whatever it may be. But one thing that's kind of stood out to me recently is the value that has defensively um, in terms of playing a, you know, what does it look like when you're the best defender in your team because you're the most athletic? And what does it look like when you're a cog in the machine? Um, and one example that that, that that does pop to mind is Kessler Edwards, um, who I know, I, I know Jake likes a lot, I don't know about Max, but 
there's just uh you can see sort of inversely from a lot of guys where there's you know they're kind of operating in a free flow uh in high school and they get to college and there's more of a system kessler went to a high school in la um that's like very well renowned at awanda for their defensive system and how they teach guys to play and it's super aggressive um and everyone comes out of there with a very strong understanding of rotations understanding of you know angles and pressure and all that stuff and then kessler ends up in pepperdine um and where he's basically just told to play free safety wherever he is on the court and i think you know free safety is often used as an adjective to describe like do whatever you want but for kessler it's just like we can all gamble a little bit more because we have kessler behind us um and it's a very awesome product of like insane ground coverage like space erasure to the maximum like rim rotations closeouts like the one thing, the way I just kind of describe it in conversation is like a lot of guys will have to um, specifically on tag and recover responsibilities on the pick and roll on the weak side, guys will have to like, because of their lack of athleticism or lack of size, whatever it is, um, have to sort of measure whether they want to commit more to the role or more to the shooter in the corner. Um, so if there's a better shooter in the corner, it's like a light tag and then a closeout. And if it's, you know, a more potent role threat, it's like, a hard, you know, form in the side tag, and then you give up some length on the shooter. Like Kessler is the only player I've seen this year and in, in the last two drafts who can like legitimately, maybe Vassell, um, legitimately like hammer the roller and then almost block the shot in the closeout, if not blocking the shot. Um, and so that is an example of like he is able to scale from A, a system, and B, you know, I'm not, not to say that there aren't defensive systems in the NBA. They're incredibly advanced ones, but ostensibly it's a little bit more reliant on your instincts and how you play defense uh, more so than how your team is taught defense. And so that's an example where you can see different contexts across responsibilities leading to a whole different level of understanding um, and impact defensively. Yeah. Like you, you need to not only know how, what Brooke Lopez looks like, in a Milwaukee drop as opposed to, you know, any other defensive scheme that he's played in previously, but you need to know what he looks like in a Milwaukee drop with Eric Bledsoe defending at the point of attack versus, um, I don't know, insert random poor point of attack defender. Cause the, it, those are very different things. You're, you're capable of doing very, very different things with, with that surrounding context, which is why, yeah, that's if you're, even if you're playing the same exact role, um, and in the same exact scheme, the, the surrounding talent matters a lot because it, it changes how you can approach things. Um, and then to, to address what, what Jake mentioned about uh, isolating skills, yeah, it's really important to, to get granular with it, like prod and try to get to the root of these, of these issues because, yeah, like projecting what you can improve is really tough. But in order to even do that, you need – the, you, the prerequisite of identifying what the issue is. So, okay, a guy is a bad handler. Is, is the issue that like he has small and or weak hands and just like physically can't control the ball? Is the issue that he is lacking in, in flexibility uh, in his upper body? Is the issue that he's lacking in like hip power uh, that he can't explode out of, out of these moves? Um, or, you know, is the issue that he's so weak in his core that he doesn't have the stability to even try to sell these moves. Uh, you just have to get so granular, so granular with these things to identify what specific skills a prospect has and then 
to know, you know, if those are latent because there's something else that's a limitation that then you can address to unearth these skills. And then to sort of tie those two ideas together, both the different contexts and isolating skills, um, I think, and granted, this is very difficult um, to do from the public sphere because a lot of this information is garnered through player interviews and background research, talking to coaches um, from their history, but uh, doing the best you can to kind of how you see guys across context, determine if it is, I guess it's something I came across a thought I came across and still come across all the time when thinking about Jalen Johnson is it it's the question of not it's not a question of uh can he do it is does he think he should do it if that makes sense like there has to be um an attempt to understand if there is a, a missing skill if that is because there is no um skill present or if because there's no understanding that that skill is required. So like for Jalen Johnson, what that pops up kind of as we talked about is the rim protection. Like, I don't know if Jalen Johnson doesn't protect the rim because he doesn't get it. And that's kind of my sense, but talking to him or, you know, seeing him across multiple contexts. And I think Jake did a great job talking about how he's never been asked to do it. So there's a natural learning curve there. Um, but it's important to suss out like, you want to see something out of Jalen Johnson in terms of being a small ball five and making those rotations from, from the bottom half of a defense. Um, but you only learn more about why those aren't happening. If you watch him earlier, um, if you, you know, understand the prospect he's been up until this point, and then you can kind of see like, okay, I'm not sure if it's because he doesn't get it or if it's because he doesn't think he has to. And I think that's a pretty important question to answer before kind of getting into is that skill there or not? Yeah, I mean, what I would say the tough, one of the toughest parts about you know doing what we do from the outside, um, you know, having access to some intel but not really a direct direct line to players like teams have. And um, something I would always love to do is you know sit down with someone with a prospect and have the film. And obviously, you know, only NBA teams and John Chepkevich and Mike Schmitz can do this. But you know, getting a look and like showing them a play where you know they're clearly posed with a decision and you know, maybe they make the wrong one. Why? What did you see there? Why were you late to this rotation? Why did you not see the backside cutter? What's your read on this pick and roll? And just see where their head is at and then identify and further dive into what are, yeah, what are the actual root of these issues? And, you know, that's just something that I wish I had access to clearly don't, but if I were an NBA team, like that would be a process I would thoroughly enjoy, you know, identifying what the actual problem is. All right, should we move on to spotlight skill? Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Let's do it. Sweet. Um, I guess I'll go first and we can, we can save uh, Henry for last. And Jake, do you, do you have any for today? I forgot to throw it on the dock. I've, I've been watching, so I, I haven't watched a ton of guys ever since the France piece. I took like a little film break with had to deal with some other stuff, but I did catch up on some G league guys. This doesn't, I, I have, yeah, I'll, I'll go with, I have some st- stuff to say about green and Kaminga. Okay. Um, well, I, since you mentioned Franz, I'll just do mine quickly. Um, Franz Wagner's length is incredibly functional. I don't, I don't know what the wingspan measurement is, but oh man, just on the ball, off the ball, what he gets out of his length on contests uh, is really, really impactful. Um, it's not the same degree with Mobley where a guard thinks they can pull up and then it's just like, oh, he has a seven, five wingspan. This, this is going to end poorly. Uh, but Franz just puts so many great contests on the ball and he's, he's so functional with his length. Um, whatever, whatever his wingspan is, he gets the absolute most out of it and then some. So if you do get a number on the wingspan feel free to shoot that to me so i can add that into the piece that i tried to track down but couldn't come up with one but yeah franz also i want to hit on his length i'll add uh, as a finisher too uh it depends what games you've seen but there are some really you know there are some really interesting finishes there where he and i plugged a screenshot in the piece where he's able to use his length to wait until the last hour to go up for this layup and uses his length to almost do like a little running sky hook on the move, which in turn allows him to create an angle and get it high up on the glass, which just isn't really feasible for most other pick and roll ball handlers. So yeah, definitely can emphasize the length and how functional it is. Um, I have some thoughts on the G League guys. Am I allowed to raise some concerns in the spotlight scale or is this reserved for positive things? Um, hmm. It's a good question. You could, I think you could raise a concern on one specific skill. Yep. All right. So we'll start off with the good. Uh, Jalen Green has been very impressive as a shot maker. Um, we can all agree that the handle is tall. It's a little bit of, it's loose. He's comfortable in big spaces, not so comfortable in tight spaces. But one thing is for sure, uh, those flashes in his high school senior year with prolific prep, uh, the most notable one against Lalumir where he had a, a pull-up shooting barrage those seem to be real and they have shown up in the bubble. I think he's shooting in the high thirties. Well, considering that he's shooting from one, the NBA line, which I think is is certainly noteworthy and considering the average degree of difficulty on these attempts, which a lot of them are coming off the bounce. That that number is pretty impressive. And 
the mechanical stuff that he cleaned up as a senior has held up. He's much more straight up, straight down. Uh, I talked to PD about it. He noted, and I completely agree, he's landing much cleaner. Uh, he's la like landing, his landing isn't all over the place. His feet are landing where he jumped, and that's always been, uh, hasn't always been there for him. So Jalen Green is a shot maker. It looks to be real. Uh, the negative side is Jonathan Kaminga and his. But before you get to Kaminga, um, on Green, how did you feel though? When I was starting to get into some of the G League stuff, it his elbow was like yeah. super acute, and he he had a lot of like really hard misses uh, and a lot of like pretty extreme uh, long short misses. Yeah, um, you know the variety of the misses like is definitely something to note. I don't have a ton of issues like with the upper body. It's not Clay Thompson. Um, it's not that perfect right angle that you would always love to see from everyone, but I do think it's functional. Uh, and if the numbers hold up, I don't see a real reason to doubt it, especially since like, as I noted, he is shooting from NBA range. So you don't really have to worry about, you know, extrapolating it. And is this small minor issue from 22 feet going to get exaggerated when we stretch us to 24 feet uh, with him? He's already at 24 feet, 23, nine. I th think that's what it is, but yeah. So with him, that's why I'm not too concerned, but it is something to at least keep track of. Um, and then the other stuff with Kaminga, uh, his unwillingness slash inability to have any counters as a driver has really reared its head in the past week and week and a half uh, when the film is out uh, it's just tough you know you have guys and he is very reliant on bully ball and strength and rather than reading the defense and making hey it's cool drop your shoulder like that is fine uh that's useful we see Cade get buckets like that all the time but that can't be your only way to win and it seems like that right now is his only way to win and it's resulting in some pretty ugly self-creation attempts yeah, Kuminga is has generally in the past been a one track player like that. Um, yeah, to throw out my own Jalen Green spotlight skill, I guess his burst looked unbelievable. Like he, no one could stay in front of him. Um, and those those are like NBA adjacent athletes. Um, so yeah, the the burst from from Green, so what I have seen of the G League stuff, looked like unbelievable so what i will say with with green uh it, it's he's definitely gotten a lot more comfortable uh, i think coming started off really hot green was kind of getting his feet wet and has looked much more like the guy that most that a lot of people have been pitching uh, all along and you know with the burst i i definitely agree like it really shows up in like i said big spaces where he's comfortable and you know the thing with green and i've i don't i don't know if i've talked about it on here um, or on another pod, but basically like the problem with green in the half court in tight spaces as a driver is the handles a little bit high. So then in turn, he stays his bo upper body is a little bit high and he can't fully get downhill and use all that forward momentum to like reach his maximum potential as an athlete, considering where he is as a leaper and all the vertical pop stuff. But when if if it's off a standstill rip or attacking a closeout or when he has space to you know develop a runway, yeah, the burst has certainly been pretty good. Yeah, I think um, just the only thing I'd add is that like I was I was in, in a, uh, a self-named skeptic of how that was going to translate. Everything seemed very simple in high school and just like running around people. Um, but he's running around borderline NBA players the same exact way. Um, 
so it, it is it's really special um and if you guys don't have anything else i can kind of go into my my spotlight skill i guess it is i can condense it into a skill um they're just a player i really wanted to highlight uh who i did not feel is getting uh nearly enough attention he's a high school junior his name's seth trimble he is the uh he has the similar sort of high top fade to mellow trimble and so i googled seth trimble brother and i and like you get the recommended google search so like clearly other people have thought this um but he's actually the brother of jp tokido uh former unc legend very confusing um but he uh <laughs> that's really bizarre it was i literally i was like it was given to me on a platter like you search seth trimble brother it's like the first thing that comes up and you google seth trimble and then you think it's like oh it's obviously mellow trimble's brother because he's another like he's like a 6'3 185 pound guard uh same exact haircut and then it's jp tokido is, is that a weirder pair of brothers than uh mcw and marcus zagorowski <laughs> that's they're brothers <laughs> they're brothers yeah it always I, gets me i learned that five seconds ago i the, the, i was gonna mention it if you didn't because so i knew he wasn't mellow's brother because mellow is local dmv legend and either one of two things was gonna happen if mellow trimble had a younger brother that was underrated that i didn't know about uh either he didn't play in the area or i am or i'm seven months into college and i'm already out of the loop in the dmv so that was that was gonna be a big problem if he was mellow trimble's brother but yeah the jb took it so thing really threw me off the rails because that was the first thing that came up when I, I looked that up yeah so he he's from wisconsin um plays in the same uh high school league as patrick baldwin uh and that's kind of how i first caught wind of him is watching pbj um and it was actually the game the game the first time i watched of seth trimble was the game where pbj dislocated his ankle um and Trimble, before PBJ got hurt, was unbelievable in terms of being able to guard up positions on PBJ. Like, I was totally taken aback in terms of – so I guess to, to spotlight one skill, it's how functionally athletic he is. Um, similarly to his brother, he's not 6'7", he's only 6'3". Um, he is, it is worth noting that he's young for his grade. He's 16 and a half right now, so he will – if he were to leave after his freshman year of college, he would be 18 and a half um, around draft time. Uh, and he, yeah, he goes to this local, I've, it's a uh, Menemone Falls, I believe is how you pronounce it, um, in Wisconsin, uh, by far the best player on his team and is this like 6'3 bulldog guard who's clearly physically developed, but obviously he's not like a Drace Walker type physically developed where there's nothing to put on. Like he's just clearly athletic and has started lifting weights, but it's not like this brutish thing. Um, and totally stuck PBJ the entire game. Like off ball gave him a ton of problems. PBJ could not, like none of PBJ's teammates could hit him on a screen because of how deep he was getting into his jersey. Um, like a lot of Hamilton, uh, PBJ's high school's offense is like these kind of mid post touches for PBJ. And all of them happened outside the perimeter because of how well Seth pushed him out. Um, and then, yeah, he's just, he's a freak athlete, like vertically in a straight line, a ton of burst, um, pretty good handle. He gets a ton of rise on his jumper as a result, and he's a very good shooter. Um, but yeah, that was the first game I watched. He had like 24, um, played very well, and then went to look him up on 24-7, and they have him, let's see, uh, 104th nationally. Um, he has plenty of high major offers, Arizona State, Cal, Creighton, Iowa State, TCU, USC, Wisconsin. I know he just got Missouri this weekend. Um, but seemingly like a very 
underrated prospect, both in terms of draft, like obviously if you're ranked 102nd in the country as a junior, you're likely not getting draft looks. Um, but also just as a college guy, like at worst, he seems like he's going to be with the mix of defense and skill and how far he has to go as a passer and how like ostensibly possible that is, he could be a serious like high major star in college at the very worst. So is is he worth a 90-minute drive from Madison to catch a game next year? Uh, yes, I would say next year. That was the one thing that kind of threw me off is the – I don't know if you guys have watched any Wisconsin high school basketball for any reason, but they are one of those states that's playing uh, with masks. So it is a very, uh, yeah, it's masks, look, masks or, or chin straps or the chin straps. Some of the college and high school games though, where uh, the crowds are significant. Yeah. yeah. And there, there are, uh, for reasons unbeknownst to me, the, the cheerleaders are there. The uh, There's a, a, a socially distanced, I'm doing air quotes, uh, student section. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, very uh, dystopian viewing process if anyone wants to get into it. And he, I would say he is, uh, he's worth it. So that, that, That's a great pitch, Henry. It's a, it's a very dystopian viewing experience, this high school <laughs> basketball game. To, awesome. watch, to watch it again. <laughs> A, a non-top 100. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, I think my my gut says that by the time he is, I mean, who knows what happens this summer, um, if there's any type of, I believe he plays for Team Hero, previously Phenom. Um, and so if there is a circuit, um, at the very least, I think he'll get one more circuit in. Uh, and then he will, I believe... I'd find it very unlikely he finishes, unless everything completely stagnates. I think he finishes his high school career as a top 50 recruit, like easily. Sweet. All right. Um, I think that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Harry. That was a lot of fun. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. This was, this was great. Um, I guess I can plug my Twitter at Henry W. Ward, two W's. Um, and then kind of all my work now is happening uh, on Pro Insight. So it's at underscore Pro Insight on Twitter. I write a weekly column where I kind of try to basically do the spotlight skill five times every week, um, try to highlight some, some prospects and what specifically caught my eye with them um, each week. And then, uh, yeah, just going to have, I think as the college season winds down a bit, um, I was doing some games in person and doing a lot of that work, but as we had the conference tournaments and the tournament, I think I'll probably have some more time to hopefully get into the sort of grander theory stuff I used to do on my personal website, thekickahead.com. Um, so look out for that. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us. Uh, you can follow the pod at Prep2ProPod. You can follow Jake at Jake in the Paint. Follow me at Max A. Carlin. As Henry mentioned, you can follow him at Henry W. Ward. Uh, and uh, I think that's it for today. Thank you guys for tuning in.